You're listening to Copper and Heat. This is Katie. A quick note before we get to today's episode. Like probably all of you, my last week has been completely consumed with coronavirus and what it means for the restaurant industry. I've actually been in the middle of helping open a restaurant, so this is possibly the worst time to do that ever. And y'all, this really fucking sucks. I don't think I need to tell you this. I'm sure you're already feeling it too. We'd actually been working on this story for months now, but at the time that I'm recording this, we've heard that Illinois, Ohio, and New York are all mandating that restaurants close. Six counties in the Bay Area, where Ricardo and I live, have ordered people to shelter in place and stay home. Restaurants and bars are closed unless they do takeout or delivery. So many restaurants across the country are doing this preventatively and making changes to staffing, trying to stay afloat in this really challenging and uncertain time. I've been talking with a bunch of my friends about how it's affecting them and trying to find different resources to share. If you have any, shoot me a note. I'm trying to share as many resources as possible. In a weird instance of coincidence, we've been researching stories about healthcare in the restaurant industry for a few months and had this episode scheduled for a while before coronavirus made its way to the U.S. The research we did earlier in the year on healthcare in the industry led us to this organization called Giving Kitchen. In the time of coronavirus, emergency relief funds for restaurant and service industry folks are popping up everywhere. But the fact that service industry people don't have a large financial safety net for crises like illness or injury is unfortunately not anything new. It's extremely exasperated right now and at unprecedented levels, but the issues have always been there. And Giving Kitchen has been working in Georgia to mitigate those issues for years. The coronavirus crisis is really shedding light on underlying problems in the system that have been there under the surface. And I know how difficult and scary it is right now. But we'll get through this together. I'm making a list of resources on our website at copperandheat.com coronavirus. Let me know if you have any others to add. On another note, if you have anything you're doing to take care of your mental health in a time like this that you'd like to share, that would be great too. I'm sure a lot of us are having some of the same feelings. With all that said, here's the story of Giving Kitchen. These are jobs that anyone from a, you know, doesn't matter your criminal background, your education level, if you can show up and work hard, there's a place for you in food service. What's the downside of this, right? If you're sick or you're hurt, there's not a place for you. This is Copper and Heat, the podcast exploring the unspoken rules and traditions of restaurant kitchens. I'm Katie Osuna. In 2012, Ryan Heininger, a well-known chef in Atlanta, Georgia, was diagnosed with late-stage gallbladder cancer. Even with insurance, there were co-pays, travel to cancer treatment centers, and a ton of expenses that wouldn't be covered. So in January of 2013, over 800 people in the Atlanta food service industry came together and raised over $275,000 for the Heiningers. And they called the fundraiser Team Heidi. 
After two years of fighting, Ryan passed away from the cancer. But out of this fight came the idea for Giving Kitchen, an organization that helps food service workers through financial crisis. Every January, they hold their Team Heidi fundraiser and raise hundreds of thousands of dollars for food service workers who are struggling through a financial crisis. At the end of the day, that's what is so attractive about working in restaurants. This idea of serving people, I think, is really attractive and, and why so many restaurant people gravitate towards Giving Kitchen because it's about the idea of service. This is Brian. Uh, my name is Brian Schroeder, and I'm the executive director of Giving Kitchen. Like so many people who support Giving Kitchen every year, Brian was drawn to the giving aspect, but he also has a particular perspective on the kitchen side, too. When I was three days old, my mom and dad opened a restaurant. We were, <laughs> we were a family of modest means. This was not my dad's second career. It's not like he got fed up as a banker and decided he wanted to go get into food service. This was a, you know, this was our one shot. But for me, it was a front row seat to what life is like in food service, both from, you know, the ownership perspective to being you know, close friends and almost family with people my whole life who work in food service and seeing the struggles they go through. And when I went to college, I was like, no way, I'm, I'm out. Um, I had no intentions of ever going back. Um, I thought I was done with food service. And I have a degree in philosophy and religion, I have a uh, master's degree in nonprofit management. Before Giving Kitchen, I spent 10 years uh, working for a conservation organization. You know, when I heard of Giving Kitchen, it just seemed like the perfect opportunity to kind of return home. In a lot of ways, what Giving Kitchen does is what a lot of great restaurants do already, is they take care of their own, they pass the hat. Though it started as a community coming together to help one chef and his family, Giving Kitchen has now helped over 4,000 food service workers since 2013. The restaurant industry has notoriously bad benefits for workers that are sick or injured. Only 25% of restaurant workers have paid sick leave, 31% have health insurance through work, and less than a quarter of restaurants provide workers' comp insurance. In an industry that is really hard on the body and the mind, Giving Kitchen is working to mitigate some of these issues. The first program developed by Giving Kitchen was their financial assistance program. They provide grants to people who are experiencing one of four different types of crisis. Uh, an illness, an injury, a death in the family, or a housing crisis because of a flood or fire. At the very beginning, they were helping a lot of people in times of financial crisis. But as they grew, they realized that their demographics were pretty homogenous. Giving Kitchen was founded, it really was a group of people, a family, so to speak, that came together for uh, Ryan Heidinger, who was a chef who was uh, living in Grand Park but working in Smyrna. Ryan was white. His friends and family were white. Uh, the people who they asked to help were white. And as Giving Kitchen kind of rolled into existence, that's who their network was, who was able to tell the story. It's who the story appealed to. So that was something that they had to change. It's been very difficult, and we've had to really kind of work through some unperceived biases about how to help food service workers. Because food service workers are a pretty diverse group. About 13.4% identify as Black or African American, 27.1% as Latinx, and 76 as Asian. And people come from a really wide range of backgrounds. Remember that when you talk about commercial food service, you talk about such a wide group of people. You have the chef who's got $200,000 in student loans from the CIA, and you have someone who's an undocumented food service worker who is you know, making under minimum wage and working at a you know, local pizza place. You know, we're trying to make sure that the services we provide in the application for assistance 
is applicable to each of those people. And we're really proud that over the last you know six years, the story has evolved. Our ability to make people feel like they're a part of Giving Kitchen has changed dramatically. And so we are now, as of 2020, African-American was the highest uh, demographic served by Giving Kitchen. Um, Caucasian uh, next, and then Latin American after that, and then Asian American was just like a very small portion of who we serve. Our mantra is the, the right amount of money to the right people at the right time. So how do they do this? Really, anyone can start the process uh, on our website or on our app. First, they start with the basics. Get an understanding of where you work, what's happened, how long you've been in crisis. This information is reviewed by the Giving Kitchen team, and if they qualify... Once you kind of make it past that first step, you, you are sent a full application. The application includes a lot of financial information, like... They'll upload a copy of their pay stub, just so we can have an understanding of where you are from a financial perspective. What are you paying in, in utilities? What are you paying in rent? What are you paying in a car? What are you paying in a cell phone? So that they can assess the amount the worker would need per month. Plus, they ask for information documenting the crisis. You know, if you went to the doctor, it's a copy of the doctor's note, discharge paperwork. If you were in a car wreck, you know, a copy of the accident report. If your house burned down, a copy of the firefighter's report. You upload, you know, your statement of need, so what's going on. Based off of the information provided, Giving Kitchen will decide how much they need and for how long. We look at how much time they miss from work. We look at um, how much they're paying in rent. We look at how much they're paying in utilities. And we'll say, okay, this person needs uh, four months of assistance. This is going to cost X amount of dollars. And we'll get the checks out the door to them as quickly as possible. We cut checks twice a week and we'll call them and let them know, hey, you know, wanted to let you know Giving Kitchen is going to provide you support. And we've got um, essentially we're going to pay your living expenses until you're able to go back to work. And sometimes if the crisis looks like it's going to go a, a little longer or, or it's undetermined, we'll say, hey, we're going to provide three months of assistance. And after those three months, once you reach back out to us and we can discuss extending your grant or extended your financial award. The checks that they cut are a little different than you might expect. Because something that's different about Giving Kitchen, we actually don't provide financial assistance directly to the food service worker. We will give them checks that they can give to their landlord or checks they can give to their utility. Um, and our goal is to essentially pay for uh, living expenses until they're able to go back to work. We don't reimburse medical. Um, you know, that's a very complicated situation that's happening either between the insurance company or just you in the hospital. But our goal is until you're able to go back to work, we can make sure the roof's over your head and the lights are on and the water's running. One of the most important steps of the process is the statement of need. Because we review 10 to 15 uh, people a week who are getting financial assistance from Giving Kitchen. And I would say the most heartbreaking and the most real it gets is when we ask people to to write out a statement of need. So usually it's a couple paragraphs of of what's happening in their crisis, why they need help, um, and and in their own words, reading their crisis. Um, it, it's sometimes it just you have to get up and walk around the room because it's it's so intense. What's also interesting, and this happened a couple weeks ago, I was reading a statement of need from a chef. He works for IHOP. Uh, as a line chef, and he has a son who is uh, was born premature, and he has an, another daughter at home. And you know, in, in his statement, I need to is very direct. My son was born premature. I've missed two two weeks of work. Uh, he needs more surgery. I may miss more work, and that was it. But then in the doctor's notes, you you really read a different story, and and it was a story of a, a father who cared deeply for his son, who's was there every night, who was there every morning. 
uh, who was there with his wife. Um, and it, it just kind of struck me, you know, how direct he was. I ended up getting to meet him and you know, we hugged each other and cried. And you just think like, you know, he was very matter of fact about the, the crisis. And then you read, you know, three or four doctor's notes and you see that there's a different story of this, this really passionate father who's, um, you know, they were in a tough spot. They were, they were trying to figure out how, who's going to stay here and who's going to go back to work and, and, and pay the bills. Um, so yeah, we got about, we got 10 to 15 of those stories a week. <laughs> In the restaurant industry, you get paid when you work essentially. So most people in this industry don't really have adequate savings and I'm definitely one of those people I've fallen in that camp this is Jahan okay my name's Jahan Ostad I'm uh, 45 years old I'll be 46 in April I've been in this industry since August of 1993 so I've been doing this a long time Jahan mostly worked in front of house through his career but he's also owned his own restaurant and worked as the chef owner over the last decade or so he's been working mostly as a bartender Right now, he's at a pizza place. I'm going to go ahead and say it's the best pizza restaurant in the entire country. The restaurant just happens to be a couple blocks from the Giving Kitchen offices, which is how he was connected with the program, which is lucky because in early 2019, he hurt himself. So the founder is Jennifer. She came in with her husband to the restaurant a little bit over a year ago before I injured myself. And I was like, wow, I've heard about you guys. I just heard through the grapevine of the restaurant world. So... um, I met her and that was that was that pretty much. And then I wound up tearing my knee on March 2nd of last year, tearing my AC, ACL. Uh, not only do I work in the restaurant industry, but I'm also a live performer. I sing in a band. So I was doing a David Lee Roth spin kick off of a 30 inch drum riser. I missed my descent. I was wearing wrestling shoes. So I stuck the, I stuck the landing perfectly at the wrong angle. And um, Severed my ACL. Yes, I finished the song. Yes, I finished the show. Being the professional that I am, I came back to work that week, just hobbling, wearing a knee brace, you know, not knowing how severely I injured it. I couldn't hear the pop that they always talk about when you blow your ACL because because the drum kit was like right behind my head, smashing away. But I definitely felt something that was really, really bizarre. Two weeks after the injury, I wound up getting an MRI that conclusively showed that I no longer had an ACL. And um, the only you can either go through life without one, it's not 100% necessary, or you can opt to have reconstructive surgery. Which is what he decided to do. As a really active person who performs, hikes, runs, as well as works on his feet all day, Jahan opted to have the reconstructive surgery that would have him off his feet, unable to work for several months. It took several months before he was even able to get the surgery, so he kept himself active in the meantime. So I actively um, got after it. I, I just started moving, walking, st- still at work. Um, and I had to work because I didn't have money. Um, so I, and I, and I had several months to plan for my, my situation that I was going to have. So that was kind of all in my financial scope of it, but that's not to say that I was, you know, rich or anything by that, by that time. Cause I definitely wasn't. So, um, yeah, they definitely help. If it wasn't for them helping me and Dr. Fogel helping me, I'd definitely be more in a hole than I already am.
About 16% of food service workers are living at or below the poverty line. The median person applying for assistance through Giving Kitchen is considered rent burdened, which means that at least 42% of their paycheck is going to rent, not counting utilities or other bills. So this doesn't really leave a whole lot of room for anything else. Here's Brian again. Once to twice a week, there is someone who has the eviction notice on their door. And, and we work those as quickly as possible because we understand that being evicted really, it becomes a, a potentially a lifetime problem. Um, it's on your record for seven years. It becomes very hard to rent another space. You lose everything. Uh, you get disrupted out of your school system. You get disrupted out of your social networks. Um, and so, um, you know, that, I think I would say that, you know, Giving Kitchen presents as this, ah, what a wonderful foodie people coming together. But at the end of the day, it's, it's uh, preventing homelessness and it's preventing eviction. Um, but so if there's one to two people with evictions, there's six to seven people who like they it's imminent and they're stressed out about it and they don't know how they're going to pay their bills. A report done by The Giving Kitchen found that 81% of people who had been evicted had a hospitalization within a year previous to their eviction. Fortunately, the work Giving Kitchen is doing is helping to avoid these evictions, and they've asked their clients to rate how they've helped on a five-point scale. You know, on a scale of one to five, the question was, financial assistance from Giving Kitchen prevented me from incurring a late fee on one or more bills. So we saw a, a rating of 4.35, uh, which is probably one of the best. I mean, we also see Giving Kitchen presented me from having at least one utility disconnected was at 3.89, with the most common answer being strongly agree. And even the lowest answer with, you know, Giving Kitchen prevented me from becoming homeless. Uh, We're at 3.64. So these are all really good um, measures of of what the work that Giving Kitchen is doing and what people are, are reporting after they've gotten help. Having one eviction can have a serious effect on everything from job retention to mental health. Of applicants, 45% report feeling sad or depressed always or often, and nearly 51% report that they always or often cannot stop worrying. When it comes to taking care of mental health, food service workers already suffer at a higher rate than the national average, with 10% suffering from anxiety or depression compared to the national average of 6 to 7%. And those are just the people that have been diagnosed. In order to be diagnosed, you have to actually visit a doctor, which many food service workers don't do due to lack of access to insurance and paid time off. Add in the financial pressures of working in a low-wage job and an unplanned expensive crisis, the applicants at Giving Kitchen have a lot of anxious and depressive thoughts. So from a perspective of depression, the question was in the last week, I felt sad or depressed. And at the time of applying for assistance, people were replying at the 3.56, which is... uh, you know, on a scale of one to five, three point five six said uh, I was feeling depressed before they started the application process, um, and then after get, receiving financial assistance, that score dropped to two point five four, which is a really great example of the impact that Giving Kitchen's having, not just on keeping people from being evicted or becoming homeless or experiencing homelessness. Uh, we we'll also see that it's uh, able to directly impact the depression that people feel. Um, of just not feeling like they're going to be able to make you know make rent or that, or that no one cares about them or no one you know is willing to step in and help out. Giving Kitchen has had a lot of positive impact on the folks they've helped in Georgia, but as they've grown over the last few years, they had to think about the bigger picture and decide if and how they expand beyond their current community. More on that after the break. 
the spring of 2019, I helped open a few different restaurants within the span of a couple months. You know, the usual process of recipe testing, ordering, frantically working with contractors to get the kitchen built out, and then the dreaded hiring process. We were always up against deadlines and understaffed, and I didn't know how we were going to pull it off. Paired is how we pulled it off. Paired is an app where you, as a kitchen manager or chef, post shifts that you need people for, and Paired fills those shifts with vetted, qualified restaurant professionals. They match people with similar experiences or backgrounds to make sure you get someone who can handle the work you need done. At one of the restaurants I helped open, we were using three Paired pros a night to help us get through opening, and many of them were so great we ended up hiring them full-time. Paired is a great tool to give you peace of mind, whether for a, my dishwasher just called out Friday night, or a weekly shift you've had a hard time hiring for. I would highly recommend giving it a try. To get started with Paired and save 30% off your first shift, visit Paired.com copper or use the offer code copper during booking. That's P-A-R-E-D.com copper. I'm almost 46 years old. I've been doing this my whole life. Here's Jahan again. I don't have medical insurance. The only times in my adult life when I have had medical insurance is when I had a more corporate uh, restaurant job. So I actively make these decisions to clean myself up and better my health. I, I was always doing that. But then when you're even more in check, when you have an injury like this, you're like, okay, like now I'm 45, I have this, like I really need to take it to the next level. So Jahan spent the months leading up to his surgery still working, exercising, eating healthier, and focusing on getting himself healthy. And then when it came time for the surgery, something pretty remarkable happened. I wound up just by August, I was arguably in the best shape of my entire life. I didn't have full flexibility or range of motion in my knee, of course, but just cardiovascularly, and um, everything else, my, my health was on point. So finally, through the Giving Kitchen, I found an amazing doctor named Dr. Evander Fogel. He works uh, with resurgence orthopedic out of St. Joseph's. They took some x-rays of me, and I came back in for my surgery. So um, they put me under with the anesthesia. Um, I wake up in the middle of a conversation with nurses, completely out of it, and my mother walks in a few minutes later. She's like, did you hear the good news? And I'm like, what? She goes, she's like, you didn't need to have surgery. She's like, you'd already regrown your ACL. I was like, what? <laughs> My first reaction was I was pissed at first. I was like, what, are you, what am I doing here? Like, what the hell? I don't have money for this. Can't take this time off. <laughs> like, like, I didn't have money for this surgery or any of this kind of stuff. I mean, I was mentally prepared to struggle and I thought I was going to be off my feet for a couple months. So instead I was only off my feet for one month. The doctor still did minor surgery to repair some of the frays and damage to the new ACL that had just grown in. But instead of being off his feet for a few months, Jahan only had to take a month off. This is where Giving Kitchen helped out. The Giving Kitchen was wonderful. They paid one month of my rent. So they paid one month of my utilities, um, being uh, gas and uh, electric bills, which was huge because I had to like come out of pocket. Without having insurance, the surgery would have been outrageously expensive. However, the other thing that Giving Kitchen was able to help Jahan with was finding a surgeon that would charge him less. You know, we also have uh, dentists and doctors and surgeons who are providing services at a sliding scale that we're able to connect restaurant workers to. They subsidized my, my surgery. Vanner Fogel didn't just take my quote-unquote case, but he subsidized and gave me the uh, Medicare rate. And this is the second program that Giving Kitchen has implemented in the last couple of years, the Stability Network. 
in the very beginning, our only focus was financial awards, that we were going to provide money for people in crisis. And as words got around about Giving Kitchen, there's a lot of people who call who are dealing with legitimate crises who don't qualify for help from us. Either they don't work in food service or our rules and our the, the people who we help, we've kind of defined crisis as something that's not chronic, that is causing financial strain. And it's really hard for our team to hear these awful stories and then either tell them no or tell them, well, you don't qualify for this, but we can help with that. And that's something that we've worked really hard to develop. It's not just uh, the financial assistance, but also what we call our stability network which is a connection to community resources. I think we all know food service is so insular. Um, it is like a little intense family. Um, and so people are you know, really don't know where to turn. Because a lot of what food service workers experience is chronic and or systemic. Low wages, lack of access to healthcare, mental health issues, they're really important to address. So Giving Kitchen is starting to address them. We led a town hall meeting up in North Georgia um, where you had chefs who had, had restaurants and owners who had restaurants for years meeting f uh, social service agencies who had been operating their community for years. No one knew the, that anyone existed. And so the, the Giving Kitchen really can play this important role as this connecting point between food service and, and the outside community. Like connecting Jahan and others to healthcare providers that offer services at a discounted rate. One of the programs they've recently added on is what they're calling pop-up docs. We're able to leverage the influence and the trust that Giving Kitchen has gen generated and garnered in our community to host these free health clinics and restaurant workers will actually show up. Our goal is to have 300 restaurant workers at the next one. These are you know, real visits with a doctor. It's a full physician visit. You know, on the open market, it would cost around $500 uh, for someone who's uninsured to have this kind of visit. And then we also have, after your doctor visit or before your doctor visit, we have what you would consider like a health fair. So people from all different types of the backgrounds in the medical community and the healthcare community will kind of be at a um, you know different table set up. And so the you know we bring people in with the promise to see the doctor, and we have you know a, a good number of doctors who have committed to you know X number of visits. And then we also have this kind of health fair where you can pop around and go from you know Planned Parenthood to a guy who's offering discounts for dentist work for restaurant workers to then a counseling service, then financial you know. You know financial literacy, you know, what, what we're trying to do is figure out, um, you know, how those are a part of our future. Um, and can we, um, make these pop-up docs, uh, re repeatable, replicable in communities across Georgia and in communities across the country. This idea of repeatable and replicable is the next step in growing Giving Kitchen. The organization started in Atlanta and has since expanded to the rest of Georgia. But now they're trying to figure out if and how they can strategically grow even more to address some of the issues facing the industry nationwide. I feel like Giving Kitchen has this opportunity to move into a kind of a nationally relevant influencer um, that not only can focus on the individual and have these you know specific programs for people you know who who are in crisis, but what kind of resources can Giving Kitchen provide that are nationally relevant that any food service worker in the United States could take advantage of? One of the big ones was suicide prevention. In 2019, Giving Kitchen was awarded a James Beard Leadership Award for the work that they were doing for folks in the industry. At the awards, they announced a new program they were implementing that would reach beyond Georgia and benefit the industry as a whole. 
we had a couple of incidents where there were people who were con- who were discussing suicide in front of us, like in front of our teammates, and we didn't know what to do. And so we negotiated a deal with QPR Institute, which uh, really invented this concept of question, persuade, and refer for how to help someone who's contemplating suicide. When Anthony Bourdain passed away that day, our phones rang off the hook. People just instinctively reached out to Giving Kitchen, and we used that training over and over for that whole week. We're on the front lines with how we've served the individuals in our community, and we're learning these lessons that we feel like are relevant and worth sharing with the community at large. Um, And Giving Kitchen has a, a program where we will pay for any restaurant worker in the United States to take this online training class. You know, how that happens and how that functions and how that's a part of Giving Kitchen moving forward, that's all up for debate, but... Uh, It was a great opportunity to say to the food service industry, these are resources that we're going to provide. There's a whole lot going on in the industry right now, and a lot of people are looking for ways to improve conditions for their workers. Giving Kitchen is in a position where they can make a widespread impact. But before they go full steam ahead, they need to figure out how they can do that. You know, look, there's been success, there's been failure, there's been some growing pains. There's something universal about food service. I think the community transcends boundaries in ways that I think Giving Kitchen is going to take advantage of as we expand across the country. But I do think the the stories have to be rooted at home. People have to, you know, have eaten at the restaurant. One of the cities that that is a pretty a large city for Georgia that we've expanded into is Columbus. It's about an hour and a half south of here. It's got its own community. It's got its own food scene. It's got its own big leaders in business have their home in Columbus, Georgia. And when we started, the, our strategy was we let everybody know who was in the food service community. We brought a lot of the restaurant owners in, a lot of the kind of influencers in the restaurant scene in Columbus. And we just kind of let them know about Giving Kitchen, and that was it. And so then, you know, over the next few months, people started getting help, word started getting around. And then that summer, we announced, you know, kind of community-wide that Giving Kitchen was in town. What was great about that is instead of telling the story of Ryan and, and Jen Heidinger, who, you know, um, that's a very Atlanta story, Atlanta community story. We were telling the stories of the people in Columbus who we had helped. Uh, I would say once a week, we're getting a call from someone somewhere else in the United States who wants Giving Kitchen in their hometown. And kind of what we've said, we have opened our playbook. So if anybody's building their own nonprofit or their own campaign, we've tried to share as much information as possible about what we've learned, how we work our system, the questions we ask, you know, how we've tried to make this thing automated and scalable. Um, And then if they said, no, we want you, then our answer to those folks is, well, we want to make sure the best version of Giving Kitchen steps out. So give us a little more time to figure out what that best version is. Because it's got to be lean and mean. Otherwise, when we start trying to operate uh, with building community on limited funds with people asking for help, I mean, we could crash and burn very quickly if we're not very, very careful about you know, the best version of Giving Kitchen stepping out when we grow. So why food? What about the food industry makes it important for Giving Kitchen to focus on? Yeah, start with it's so important to our community from a jobs perspective alone. These are jobs you're not going to automate. These are jobs you're not going to export. These are jobs that anyone from a, you know, doesn't matter your criminal background, your education level, if you can show up and work hard, there's a place for you in food service. What's the downside of this, right? If you're sick or you're hurt, there's not a place for you. It is a community that has some, a legacy of drug and alcohol abuse uh, that needs to be addressed. And, you know, 
what we see kind of between the good and the bad is this community that it creates. And that's where Giving Kitchen has just found a lot of green grass to run in. People see the value that it provides our economy. They see the value it provides our community. They also see how hard it is. They also see that there really isn't a place for you if you get sick or get hurt. Um, and, and because it's so important to our community, in Atlanta and across Georgia, people have responded to this idea that, that you know, the right amount of money to the right people at the right time really resonates. You know, we count on people who are in food service or out of food service to be our eyes and ears, to tell our story, um, that you can change someone's life by telling the story of Giving Kitchen. You know, there's an app that you can download that we set up. It's a great way to get engaged with Giving Kitchen. There's opportunities to volunteer. There's opportunities to donate. But you can also open up a page and refer anyone to Giving Kitchen who needs help. Uh, that's free to download. And, and, you know, basically just it's like having a tool tool for your toolkit. Uh, and if you're in Georgia and the next time you, you come across a food service worker who's in crisis, you can use the app to refer them. And, and someone from our team will get back to them within you know 24 to 48 hours. I'm linking to the Giving Kitchen application as well as the suicide prevention training in the show notes. They put out a statement this week for any Georgia food service worker that has tested positive for coronavirus or has a note from a doctor for a mandatory quarantine to immediately reach out for financial assistance. Hopefully, this will help you or someone you work with, so please spread the word. Also, as promised at the top of the episode, I've put some other links to resources about coronavirus. These are pretty terrifying times, so I hope you are taking care of yourselves mentally and physically, as well as your communities. We're going to be wrapping up the season in the next episode and then taking a break before season three. But we'll be releasing a few bonus episodes, so hit the subscribe button to stay up to date. If you could please leave us a review, that would be awesome. It helps us a ton. Also, we're thinking about season three, so let us know if you have any ideas. What are you curious about? Overhead, the second season of Copper and Heat is produced by me, Katie Osuna, and Ricardo Osuna. Our story editor is Rachel Palmer. Head on over to Twitter or Instagram and find us at Copper and Heat, or check out our website, copperandheat.com. All the music you hear is produced by us under the name Gamma Gardens. Check out other tracks on Instagram and SoundCloud. Thanks for listening. <laughs>